Welcome to Episode 6 of Economics Supplied on Demand, a podcast brought to you by the Economic Society of Australia to discuss economic affairs of the time. I'm Erin Stone and I'm the President of the Western Australian In this episode, we bring you a recording of our annual Young Economist debate. I had the pleasure of hosting the event in July in place of our annual Australian Conference of Economists, which was unfortunately deferred due to the coronavirus. As part of this event, we heard members from each of our state's Young Economists Network present arguments about whether the federal government's JobKeeper and JobSeeker programs should be extended beyond the end of September 2020 to allow for continued economic recovery. Hello everyone and welcome to the 2020 National Young Economist Debate. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Erin Stone and I'm the President of the Economic Society of Australia's WA branch. As many of you will know, we weren't able to hold the Australian Conference of Economists, which was scheduled to be held this week in Perth. Disappointing as this was, we decided that we would bring you one of the much-loved conference events virtually this year, the Young Economists Debate. In keeping with our conference theme and reflective of the current circumstances, our debate topic is, the Federal Government's JobKeeper and JobSeeker programs should be extended beyond the end of September 2020, to allow for continued economic recovery. Tonight, I'm pleased to welcome our affirmative team, Gigi Foster, Professor, Director of Education at the University of New South Wales School of Economics, Queensland Rep, Emily Haywood, Senior Economist at Deloitte Access Economics, South Australian Rep, Dr. Jugu Yengen, Associate Professor at the School of Economics at the University of Adelaide. The ACT rep, Alex McKenzie, Senior Consultant at KPMG. Our opposition team, Brendan Coates, Household Finance Program Director at the Grattan Institute. New South Wales rep, Callum Morgan, Senior Economist at EY. Christina Primus, Analyst at CBH Group. And the Victorian rep, Nick Robinson, Manager of Economics and Policy at PwC. And last but not least, our moderator for tonight, Michael McClure, Professor of Economics at the University of Western Australia. Over to you, Michael, to start the proceedings. Thank you, Erin. Um, firstly, I'd like to wish all the participants good luck in this uh, marvellous initiative of the Young Economist Network. Um, so the second thing I'd like to do is pay my compliments to the organisers of the event, Anusha Mahendran and Erin Stone, who I've dealt with and many people of them supported them. So congratulations on taking uh, this debate forward on such a wonderful topic and a very timely topic, which we all look forward um, to dealing with. Now, in my, in my duties as uh, moderator, I simply will be um, keeping everyone to time. So all the, every presenter in the debate has five minutes to speak. I will um, comment uh, about four, at the four minute mark, so there's one minute, uh, to remain and I will terminate the person's presentation after five minutes. Um, I think that's the, the main, there'll obviously be a poll um, with this exercise as well, which will become available towards the end when the group leaders are presenting. So the participants of today's presentation will have the opportunity to select which team has won the debate and, uh, and I'll take that information into account when moderating the result. Typically, a good moderator will, I think, accept the view of the majority, um, and that's what I would plan to do unless you get a thing like a very tight result where a, a, a captain's call is required. So I think without any further ado, we can move into the um, 
uh, event. Um, and the first speaker that we have today on the affirmative team is Emily Haywood. No one can argue that JobKeeper and JobSeeker have not been successful in getting cash into the pockets of those who need it most in great times of uncertainty and chaos. Although lockdown restrictions have been loosening across most of the country, labour market pains are expected to continue. And Victoria has reminded us all that uncertainty is still pervasive. Given that JobKeeper and JobSeeker have earned their keep over the last few months and Australian businesses and families remain vulnerable, we support the notion that these programs should be extended beyond September to provide a degree of certainty and stability to our workers, households and businesses. The lockdown was the best defence in our fight against the virus and Australia has felt fared well by global standards. However, the lock lockdown has caused major disruptions across the economy. Over 800,000 workers are now unemployed and that number would have been significantly higher if it wasn't for the JobKeeper program, who is, which is currently supporting over 800,000 uh, people as well. For this economic lifeline to ad abruptly stop in September would be doing nothing more than kicking the unemployment can down the road. The good news is, however, across the country, more businesses are opening up and more people are moving around. This means that there are a number of businesses that are not doing as bad as they were in previous months. We understand that businesses and different businesses have um, and different sectors of the economy will open up at different times. As such, we propose that the eligibility criteria for JobKeeper post-September um, is that businesses must, uh, must satisfy the decline in turnover test. This reassessment would mean that those businesses who have stabilised and can support their workers without further government assistance would stop receiving payments post-September. While funding would continue to be directed to those businesses that require continued support um, and struggle with ongoing restrictions such as the border closures. There are, of course, other ways that you can tailor the JobKeeper program, but any attempt to target particular areas would inadvertently exclude some vulnerable businesses and force them to sever ties with their employees post-September. The broad criteria of the current JobKeeper program captures a significant proportion of the economy. Continuing the program in its current form would provide certainty and much-needed stability for these workers and businesses. The fallout of structural changes and uh, broader disruptions associated with COVID will likely leave um, some unemployed um, Australians with nowhere to go. It is important that government continues to have ties with these employees so they don't fall through the cracks. JobSeeker does this. JobSeeker does not only provide financial support, but also provides much needed um, sorry, employment services to those who need it to get people in jobs that use their skill set and ignite their passion. Some people might say that the rate of JobKeeper is too high. There is probably no such thing in a time like these as one person's spending is another person's income. And where the link is broken in the crisis, the role of government is to provide a safety net to everyone who, as that's what taxes are for. This is how it should work. And there is dignity in work and people on JobKeeper will seek this out when they are able to do so. The road to recovery is complex and things keep on changing. So over and above existing reasons to have higher unemployment benefits, keeping JobSeeker past September 
will be vital in filling the cracks of other government safety nets that are due to be unwound in September. The risk of damage to the economy and people's livelihoods if JobKeeper and JobSeeker were to abruptly stop is considerable. That is why we wish for JobKeeper and JobSeeker program to be extended post-September in their current form to provide continued support for economic recovery. Um, my team will discuss the micro details of each of the programs um, later in the debate. Um, we'll now move on to the first speaker for the second, uh, the alternative argument, the negative team, which will be Callum Morgan. As the recent Victorian experience shows, we're going to be a, a with COVID rather than post-COVID world for a long time. Many businesses are going to struggle. Lots of households will experience big income shocks. Like Team 1, we also believe that economic stimulus will be necessary beyond the end of September to allow for a sustained recovery. In their current form, however, JobKeeper and JobSeeker are severely flawed. The programs were designed in a rush. They are not fit for purpose to be extended beyond September in their current form. We can spend better. There are other options on the table to both support an economic recovery and boost long-term productivity which should be explored. My team and I will prove this to you. First, I will explain how there are big design flaws in JobKeeper which need fixing now. I will also explain how JobKeeper needs to be adapted in order to support rather than prevent structural adjustment in the economy beyond September. Our second speaker, Christina, will demonstrate that while JobSeeker is welcome to support the recovery of JobKeeper, there are currently incentive problems with JobSeeker in its current form. We need to transition to a benefit rate that doesn't discourage work or people starting new businesses. Our third speaker, Nick, will explore how we can spend better. There are alternative policy options that are available to not only support the economy going forward, but also boost long-term productivity. Finally, our fearless leader, Brendan, will summarize our and close out our argument. So what are the big design flaws with JobKeeper that need fixing now? Basically, JobKeeper fails to help all the businesses and households that it should. Too many people are falling through the cracks. The first flaw is paying JobKeeper in arrears. JobKeeper should be paid in advance. Paying in arrears acts as a barrier to entry and forces many businesses to borrow on an ongoing basis in order to fund their payroll. Next, there are limits on coverage that need to be fixed. Eligibility for the program should be expanded to include short-term casuals, temporary migrants, and university workers. Leaving these people high and dry has left big holes in support for some of the worst hit sectors, including arts, recreation, and hospitality. Wouldn't this cost more? Yes, but to partially cover the additional cost of these changes, a part-time rate should be introduced. Nobody should be earning more on JobKeeper than they were before. A part-time rate would both help to lower the cost of the program and address fairness issues between part-time and full-time employees. Overall, these design flaws mean that JobKeeper is providing less support than it needs to, which means more viable businesses will fail and more households are being hurt than should be. These flaws should be fixed now. What about beyond September? How should JobKeeper be adapted for a protracted economic downturn? Ultimately, the rigid design of JobKeeper in its current form is preventing structural adjustment in the economy. What we need is a wage subsidy that doesn't keep so many businesses on life support and encourages people to find new jobs. So what needs to change? Firstly, the turnover test for JobKeeper needs to be more closely tied to evolving economic conditions. In its current form, businesses need only satisfy the turnover test for one month in order to qualify once and for all for JobKeeper. This means that businesses continue to receive support even after their activities have returned to normal and their revenues have recovered. 
This is inefficient, wasteful, and obviously not fit for purpose in a, for, a, for a with COVID world. Retesting on a month-to-month -month basis would allow support to be withdrawn from businesses who no longer need it, while allowing them to rejoin if economic conditions deteriorate or if lockdown is reimposed like it has been in Victoria. Any additional administration burden associated with this change would also be minor, as under the current program, businesses already have to report to the ATO every month their actual and expected revenue for the next month. Requiring more frequent turnover testing would make the JobKeeper more flexible and allow it to serve as an economic stabilizer, responding to change in economic conditions automatically. Second, JobKeeper should be made portable to better facilitate the reallocation of workers during the recovery. In its current form, JobKeeper locks businesses to their existing workforce. If a business wants to hire new workers, they aren't covered. One minute to go. If workers want to switch firms, they can take the subsidy with them, which prevents resources flowing to where they would be of most use. A portable JobKeeper would tie the subsidies to workers, allowing them to assign the subsidy whichever employee is willing to hire them. This would still achieve the key objective of supporting firms' cash flow and providing stimulus to the economy, but would do so in a way where less is spent subsidizing zombie firms. Workers tend to have better information than the government as to whether a firm is likely to survive long term. So by movement with workers, the subsidy gets directed to a more viable firm. This will create a more dynamic labor market, facilitate structural adjustment, and ensure that JobKeeper supports job creation rather than just job retention. In summary, JobKeeper is not fit for purpose. It, sorry, JobKeeper is not fit for purpose to be expanded beyond September in its current form. In addition, if its design flaws are not fixed, it is likely that the political support needed to continue to provide stimulus will be eroded. Perfect timing. Thank, thank, you. thank you very much, Callum. Now we move to the second speaker from the um, affirmative team. So, Duigu Yengen. with a question. Could you survive on $40 a day? That's the amount of job seeker payment, formerly the new start, that we will go back in late September unless we extend the current uh, job seeker payments beyond September. If we go back to the previous job seeker payment amount, this would put about 1.4 million people currently receiving the job seeker payments below the poverty line. My team proposes that the current increased job seeker rates must remain until economy recovers sufficiently and we can design a better unemployment benefit system. Let's talk about the three benefits of extending the current job seeker payment system beyond September. First, it will provide job seekers the assurance that they can sustain a decent living standard without the threat of poverty. Current job seeker payment is about $560 a week. About $500 is needed to reach the poverty line. Before the pandemic, the unemployment payment was merely $280 a week. With this low amount, not only you can't make meets end, but also you wouldn't have the tools to find a job, to look for a job. Things like having access to internet, phone, transportation, presentable clothing, all these cost money. So the current job seeker payment rates are actually an improvement compared to the previous amount. Secondly, extending the job seeker payments will buy us the necessary time for, a, for policymakers to design a better unemployment benefits system. This design would require time and careful consideration. It shouldn't be rushed. 
With uncertain and rapidly changing economic conditions due to the pandemic, changes to job, job seeker or other welfare payment systems should wait, uh, should that take its time till some of the uncertainties are resolved and we can take carefully and design a better system. Third, the job, current job seeker payment rates actually stimulates the economy. Without enough jobs to go around, if we go back to the previous amount of $40 a day, that will uh, create uh, financial stress for many people and it might create a housing crisis as well and drive the economy further backwards. Given the low interest rates and low inflationary pressures, our focus should not be on budget deficits. Our primary concern should be about keeping people above the poverty line and stimulate the economy. After all, every dollar received by job seekers return to economy as they spend that money. This creates jobs, tax revenue, and economic growth. Now, some people may argue that the job seeker payments are too high and remove the incentive to go back to work. First, as I already argued, the unemployment benefits is actually low and has not increased in real terms since 1994. Secondly, currently there is not enough work to go back to. Only one job vacancy exists for every 13 people on job seeker or youth allowance, according to May figures. And for some time uh, in the future, this probably will not improve. And third, uh, with the structural changes the economy and its sectors will go through in the coming months and years, we want to build an economy where people are matched with the best jobs according to their skills. It shouldn't be the case that you just go for the first job you find. You should, uh, if necessary, uh, get the training to upskill yourself or reskill. And to be able to do so, you, you should have sufficient income to afford your basic needs. Hence, uh, the unemployment benefits should remain at the high rate as it is now. One minute to go. So that's the kind of economic recovery that we should hope for. To summarize, extending the current job seeker payments beyond September will provide us some certainty, prevent widespread poverty, will stimulate the economy, and will give us the time to design better welfare payment systems and economic recovery programs. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, now we move to the negative second speaker for the negative proposition. So we have Christina Primus. Hi everyone, I'll be presenting our team's second argument on tonight's topic. So while we support the idea of a job seeker supplement in general, it's clear that the existing policy was not designed to be a long-term solution. The policy needs to be adapted to better support people and incentivize them to look for work. It also needs to enable structural change in the economy by supporting temporarily unemployed people in the transition away from the current JobKeeper scheme. In the short term, we believe the current JobSeeker job scheme could benefit from a number of small changes that would increase its effectiveness as a stimulus tool without significant administrative burden. I want to highlight that the changes that we are proposing are low-hanging fruit that can be done right now. Firstly, we should implement phased adjustments to the job seeker payment rate. The current job seeker payment, including the COVID supplement, is $558 per week, which is $200 less than the full-time wage and higher than the age pension. If the temporarily higher job seeker payments 
reverted back to the permanent base rate of $287 per week, unemployed persons would experience close to a 50% drop in their income. Laid off workers formerly on JobKeeper payments of $750 per week would experience an income drop of nearly 75%. The permanent job seeker base rate does not provide an adequate minimum income that is above the poverty line. So in terms of incentivizing people to look for work, this is extremely problematic as poverty in many cases prevents people from being able to present as credible employees. A sudden reversion back to the permanent rate would likely result in significant financial stress and behaviour that is counterproductive to the central goal that is supporting economic recovery. We therefore suggest that the job seeker rate should be slowly adjusted to a rate that is lower than the temporary COVID rate, but higher than the permanent rate. For example, the base rate may be increased by $180 per week so that it no longer reflects an income below the poverty line. Such a rate would be $100 below the current job seeker subsidy inclusive of the COVID supplement. This would allow access to JobSeeker to be expanded at a lower cost to support structural economic adjustment and those temporarily unemployed people laid off through the phasing out slash reconfiguration of JobKeeper. Providing a rate that is higher than the permanent base rate would also better support unemployed persons to present as credible employees in their search for a suitable job. Secondly, we should bring back full mutual obligation requirements. Mutual obligation requirements are tasks that need to be completed by unemployed persons in return for financial assistance. They include meeting with an employment services provider and developing and completing activities in a job plan. Mutual obligation requirements were removed from job, job seeker in response to the surge in job losses at the height of the pandemic. This may have resulted in some people temporarily leaving the workforce or halting their search for a job. Mutual obligation obligation requirements have since been reinstated in a very limited form. As the rate of job losses tends to a more manageable rate supported by economic stimulus, full mutual obligation requirements should be reinstated for a number of reasons. Firstly, to stimulate labour force participation, which has declined over the crisis, resulting in understated unemployment figures. And secondly, to increase job seeker accountability. Reinstating mutual obligation requirements will serve to minimise the economic and social implications of increasing labour force detachment and structurally ingrained long-term fiscal costs that present a burden for future generations. Thirdly, we should index job seeker payments to wages instead of inflation. Job seeker payments are currently indexed in line with changes in the cost of living as measured by CPI. They do not rise in line with living standards of the general population. To address this, job seeker payments should be indexed to wages in the same manner as the age pension. So, to summarise, one minute to go. The job seeker scheme was not designed as a long-term long solution. In the short term, the policy could benefit from a number of simple adjustments that would make it more efficient, increase its payoffs, and reduce the long-term liability it presents. This would free up government funds for other diverse forms of stimulus spending, which Nick will discuss as our team's final speaker. Thank you very much. Can we now move to our third presenter for the affirmative case, which is Alex McKenzie. I want to open by highlighting the story of Brent. So Brent is an owner of a cafe nearby to where I live. As we all know, the hospitality industry has been hit pretty hard by the lockdown. When I got my coffee this morning, I asked Brent in preparation for this evening, what is the hardest thing for you right now in relation to JobKeeper? Brent said, not knowing whether JobKeeper will continue on, 
If we knew it was ending, I'd at least be able to help some of my guys find a job somewhere else. Brent's situation is indicative of one of the points I'll be raising tonight. Uncertainty is right throughout the economy right now, and it's creating negative effects for both individuals and the economy as a whole. The second point I'd like to talk to is that all policies have lapsed, and that to adequately design, communicate, implement, and refine a policy before September could potentially result in an ill-thought-through policy with disastrous effects. But first, I'd like to respond to a few points made by the negative team. The first speaker suggested that JobKeeper should be able to be portable across multiple employers. We would disagree. Instead, arguing that the fact that the program bonds employers and employees is a positive feature. This feature helps prevent enormous job search costs, and it helps to reduce the chance of very long-term employed people, which we know has a disastrous effect on people's confidence and ability to find work into the future. The second speaker spoke to the old JobKeeper rate and the low level of pay and the resulting poverty that some people on JobKeeper face. We would agree. But we would also highlight that we are de debating about extending the JobKeeper and JobSeeker in their current form. The second speaker also spoke of mutual obligations. Whilst we agree that having individuals in work is a positive thing in terms for both those individuals and also for society as a whole, mutual obligations can put hard costs on individuals in terms of searching for jobs and some of the requirements that are made for them. But also, we would question what is the validity of mutual obligations if there is an economy that doesn't have the jobs there. Humans do not like uncertainty. This is widely known in the field of behavioural economics. And in uncertain situations, we tend to make decisions that are often myopic and are not carefully considered. This uncertainty translates into the economy. Investment goes down, consumption goes down, and people become pessimistic. These economic behaviours hurt the economy and facilitate a downward spiral. When Keynes referred to animal spirits, this is what he was referring to. Australia, like the rest of the world, is currently dealing with radical uncertainty, which is having a significant effect on the economy. As RBA Governor Philip Lowe said on Tuesday, uncertainty about the health situation and the future strength of the economy is making many households and business cautious, and this is affecting consumption and investment plans. This is problematic, as investment will be crucial for improving productivity and increasing the competitiveness of an economy in the long term. We need investment if we're going to have a recovery that gets our economy and society back to resemble anything of the past. Furthermore, importantly, as we intend entering the period in the lead-up to Christmas, where there is often a big drop in demand, we need there to be certainty and stability to continue to make sure that the economy is running. Maintaining JobKeeper as it currently stands helps bring certainty and stability to the people and businesses it directly affects until we can effectively implement new policies. However, new policies take time, and this is where I'll bring to my second point, policy lags. We know that all policies have lags, whether that be lags due to the passing of legislation or lags in the ability to effectively implement a policy. Policy changes, especially some of the ones that are being highlighted by the opposing team tonight, and not easily undertaken. Our team recognises that we don't exist within a policy vacuum. We're not blinded to political realities, and this means getting political support, passing legislation, and implementing new systems, all whilst dealing with the other key agenda items from the pandemic, is going to be very, very difficult. By September, it's very unlikely that we'll get a new policy up and running that has been adequately designed, communicated, implemented, understood and refined. 
Whilst we agreed that there should be some policies, such as revenue contingent loans for businesses, similar to HECS, designed by Bruce Chapman, Chapman, or proposed changes to upskill the workforce, these are ideas that take time. In conclusion, due to the effects of policy lags and the need for certainty and stability, we believe that the federal government should extend JobKeeper and JobSeeker programs in their exact form and current form beyond the end of September 2020 to allow for continued economic recovery until we can properly implement new policies. Thank you. Thank you very much. Perfect timing. Okay, we're now moving on to our third speaker for the negative case, which is Nick Robinson. Thank you. Um, my name is Nick Robinson. Um, I'm with ESA Victoria. Um, so we're going to go back to the most basic question in economics. How do you use your most scarce resources most effectively to maximise welfare? Our team's argument is we want to be able to deploy our economic resources in a smarter way rather than encouraging stasis, as we believe the, the opposing team's um, argument would encourage. First of all, we believe that reform provides greater flexibility to do other things. Secondly, we believe there's a need for growth at the moment, particularly in light of the um, increasing bills that the government is um, racking up. And thirdly, we believe that alternative measures could bring a greater return on investment than the current JobKeeper and JobSeeker. Reforming, job, um, reforming JobKeeper and JobSeeker would provide policymakers greater flexibility about what to do next. Continuing the current schemes puts budgetary and administrative limits on the government's fiscal um, responses on the current scheme. The government will spend just under 5% of GDP on JobKeeper and JobSeeker. Any growth to the economy is constrained by a section of the labour force who are in limbo, employed by firms who are only kept afloat by the current JobKeeper scheme. Would you leave a $1,500 fortnightly check for a job in a risky but highly prospective startup? Maybe, but some other people won't. And that's the choice that we need to talk about. Secondly, um, we need to prepare the, the, the economy for recovery. Um, COVID's both a demand and supply shock. It's going to have a long-term, going to have long-term um, impacts in the economy that both um, job keeper and job seeker cannot sell forever. The crisis has hit the young, us, um, particularly hard and the economy if the economy does not recover many more people will be unemployed or underemployed for um, more years to come at this stage we also need to turn our minds to um, the debt as i've mentioned before and how we'll pay it back the, the easiest way to pay back debt is by growing the economy what would ha happen under our opponent's world would be that potential entrepreneurs would be held back by from creating the next big employer by a 1,500 fortnightly payment coming through from the government via their current employers. Maintaining the jo current job keeper would be like trapping a patient in a hospital bed once their broken leg is healed, even when the physiotherapy might strengthen their muscles. Con to continue the medical analogy, there's no evidence that keeping zombie firms afloat through JobKeeper reduces the scarring effect experienced by their employees. At risk of adding to the job noun, um, scheme, so job creator, sorry, job keeper, job seeker, and job maker, we need a um, job creator scheme. Um, the, the, the government's job maker terminology doesn't seem to have caught on, so I'm going to use that one. Perhaps uh, it's hard to make new jobs when you're um, keeping old jobs, um, and keeping old jobs is basically what our opponents are calling um, certainty. 
So in terms of how you might de deploy your um, additional resources to grow the economy, the question you need to ask yourself is um, what, what is the highest return on investment from a welfare perspective? So that can include social, economic and environmental, um, environmental ideas. Um, to think about that, you could pick up a report written by my um, co-written by my colleague Brendan, or to quote um, Emily's boss, Dr. Philip, um, you could reform the economy to boost productivity and growth, which will get us back to a normal get get us back to normal quicker and allow us to do better than normal. Both papers include ideas such as tax reform, so that could in, that could be stamp duty, um, so or swapping out stamp duty for land tax, introducing a cash flow tax on companies, or many of the great ideas in the One minute, tax review. Um, Incentivising job creation through a targeted hiring bonus or through greater subsidies for childcare, repairing and improving our infrastructure, even um, industrial policy to temporarily fill the investment um, shortfall, spending on medical research to try and create the next CSL, funding the hydrogen production plants, um, implementing a circular economy, or building robotic security guards, um, which was an idea from the Victorian government. Each one of these is not necessarily the, the right answer. You might want to invent, try to invent a time machine, time machine instead. But the point is that continuing JobKeeper and JobSeeker in the current form gives the economy gives the not sorry, not continuing JobKeeper and JobSeeker in their current form gives the government space to consider what proposals might deliver um, high return. In summary, reforming JobKeeper and JobSeeker allows you to move into the future, not stay in the present. And believe me, from Victoria, that's an attractive time at the moment. Thanks. Good. Thank you, Nick. Well, well timed. Um, now we move to our fourth and final presenter for the affirmative case. So it's a pleasure to uh, be on this team arguing for the continuation of JobKeeper and JobSeeker in their current form. Um, I really liked uh, the presentation we just heard about a lot of interesting and very creative ideas going forward. And our team, in fact, would agree that there are many different things that the government could do apart from JobSeeker and JobKeeper to support the economy in the medium run. Our argument is simply that, particularly because of the incredible recession we're now in and the uncertainty that is afflicting households and businesses, it is much more valuable for our government to continue to sponsor these programs as they are written in order to provide security and certainty for individuals and businesses, particularly leading into the Christmas period when a lot of spending typically happens to prop up the economy. And that, that kind of spending is affordable because as we now know, because of modern monetary theory, it is very important, everybody's a Keynesian now, it's very important for the government to spend in a difficult economic time. Far more important to do that than to try to be austere in the vain hope of saving a few pennies here and there. We can do both. We can have job seeker and job keeper as they are currently written, and we can invest in the longer run political consultative process required to develop some of those ideas from our opposition, as well as what was mentioned in our team previously, a, a scheme that is similar to the higher education contribution scheme, the HEC scheme, where there would be income contingent or revenue contingent loans provided for businesses and individuals coming out into the medium run. We don't propose that these programs go on forever. It is not a question of being in stasis, as one of the opposition members said. It's much more a continued life raft for a few more months to lead us into Christmas and hopefully get the worst of the virus behind us. Again, our point is that we should be indeed 
doing exactly what was done at the beginning of this program, these programs, which is to require businesses to do the turnover test. So prove that they have had a 30 to 50% reduction in turnover. So because of the recovery by the end of September, we anticipate this will in fact be less costly for the government than it has been so far. We are very hardened by the job seeker introduction because it has increased the unemployment payments in Australia since they have been wallowing in real terms since 1990s. And so we think that's a very good thing to support the effective searching for good jobs, jobs that are matched well to the skills and abilities of our workforce. We believe Australians want to work. They are not sitting around just being happy to be on the dole. We have a good work ethic in this country and we need to support that and support our, our young people particularly who have been so hard hit by this virus and, and all of our decision making around it by providing them with the support they need to find good jobs and to, to lead us into the future. We don't agree with a lot of the points that our opposition has made, but we do believe that um, it is important to supplement with other ideas. And one of the things that also hasn't been touched on is the education and human capital building. This crisis provides an incredible opportunity for the government to invest more in its people. And we think that can be done also on the side, along with uh, income contingent loans, possibly even the establishment of some new institutions that will help us for future crises, like the establishment of a national bank, for example. But these things take time. We know the political process in Australia is slow and cumbersome. There are many, many lobby groups that'll be putting their hands out, wanting little tweaks to job seeker or job keeper, specifically to benefit their part of the pie. And, and we just don't think that it's in the government's interests or the taxpayers' interests to, in fact, allow for that to, to overcome the, 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 the better uh, support of the economy that is provided by this flat check, very secure and stable income source. So in conclusion, we think that uh, what we have at the moment is not bad. It's still a stopgap. And we do think there's a lot more that can be done and it requires time and resources to do it right. Thanks, Yuzi. That's good. And to end the uh, debate for the negative side, we've got Brendan. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone. It's worth remembering what we're arguing here today, which is essentially that the JobKeeper and JobSeeker payments should be extended in their current form. The arguments put forward by the affirmative side in this regard are essentially threefold. One, that spending should continue in order to support the economic recovery. On this, we agree. While public debt shouldn't be a worry right now, um, there is always an opportunity cost, as any economist will tell you, and spending of the wrong kind that provides the wrong set of incentives to support the economic recovery that basically impedes firms from switching to find to workers from switching to finding new jobs is likely to be counterproductive. Secondly, the second argument is that that certainty is paramount, such that the scheme should continue right now. But the only certainty that we have in a post-COVID world is that it will look remarkably different to the one that we came in with. So whereas in a pre-COVID world, you know, Qantas had a huge number of aeroplanes that were highly productive forms of capital. That is no longer the case. A lot of them are now sitting in the middle of the desert in Australia or in somewhere in Nevada. So we're going to need to see big structural changes to the economy as we basically come out the other side of this. And as our team has shown, those, those changes essentially uh, are going to be impeded by the kind of structure of the policies that we have in place right now. And thirdly, that new policies take time to develop. So the kinds of policies that we're proposing today are to reform JobKeeper and JobSeeker, which we think are very reasonable. The argument is essentially that they can't be designed in an appropriate amount of time. The trouble is that Treasury had a week to put JobKeeper and JobSeeker together. And that's why the schemes have the flaws that they have. As Callum said, 
these schemes basically tie workers to firms that aren't going to survive beyond September. They're tying workers, they don't provide the kind of coverage to the kind of supports that are necessary for temporary migrants, uh, for short-term casuals. Um, you know, it's not as if, if we gave money to those groups today that they'd say, oh, well, look, I was happy with the certainty that I had where I got nothing. And all of a sudden, now that I'm receiving something, um, that's going to be a big impost upon me. When it comes to reforming these policies to fix some of their basic design flaws that came up in the scramble to produce them at the height of the crisis in March, it makes complete sense that we should try to fix those policies today. But also, we need to think about JobKeeper in particular is responding to an emerging world that we're going to have to deal with. One where some forms of capital are less, are less productive, where there's going to need to be a transition from some, some firms to others. Now, if we think of the example of the cafe that was mentioned before, now maybe that cafe does survive, maybe that ca and therefore JobKeeper, as we say at the start, um, has been important in supporting the kind of links between workers and firms uh, to allow businesses to survive this part of the crisis and come out the other side. But maybe, you know, a lot of these jobs aren't going to survive. You know, Qantas and Virgin are going to be smaller post-crisis. We're unlikely to see travel agencies restart. Even the kind of firms that run the conferences, like the Economic Society of Australia conference, are going to struggle coming out the other side of this for some time. And does it really make sense in the benefit of everything that we've learned since March not to try to reform those policies? And I think the answer is very clearly no. We know that we can reform these policies by essentially... Um, sorry, I just had the, uh, the poll pop up on my feed. Um, we just had these policies um, designed in such a way that they're preventing the kind of transition. So as Callum said, we should transition to a world where JobKeeper follows the worker. The value of that is the worker knows a lot better whether the firm's going to survive than the, firm, than the government does. And you get that extra information from the fact the, firm, the worker moves and that provides that support. Now, obviously, that does mean that some firms will fail and some firms will struggle. But that is why we're also providing that support through JobSeeker, continuing that on in some form post-September in order to smooth the shock to incomes. Essentially, we're using that policy to transition to people off JobKeeper onto JobSeeker and keep demand high. And thirdly, as Nick said, we've essentially got... Um, we've got we can use the savings from a different form of JobSeeker and JobSeeker to support different sets of policies to essentially within the kind of budget envelope that we have that is obviously very large in a post-COVID world when we're not so worried about the deficit, we are in fact all Keynesians, um, that we can use this, use this as stimulus as down payments for the support economic growth by doing stamp duty land tax swaps, by providing compensation for the GST, providing support for company tax reforms, the kind of difficult questions that are often create winners and losers that ultimately we're going to need that support. So why not get that down payment on reform? The reality is that COVID has changed the Australian economy and we're all going to have to adapt accordingly. Thank you. From my perspective, it came through that there were fairly uh, important themes on both accounts. The first theme was that certainty in the time of crisis is in essence the most important singular theme and that it has to weight highly, be given a, a high weighting in any sort of consideration into whether we extend in the current form the uh, JobKeeper, JobSeeker arrangements. The theme of the negative story did not confront the, um, the importance of the contribution of JobSeeker and JobKeeper um, for the time it was introduced. 
but they were stressing that as time has emerged, the design flaws become more evident. You've had decisions that had to be made very quickly for very pragmatic reasons. There's no reason to expect that those design flaws to write themselves. So there's an opportunity when looking forward to try and correct them. We also had a degree of agreement, particularly nice to know that we're all Keynesians now with modern monetary theory or the Keynesian view that, that essentially a stimulus in some sense of crisis is important. Though it was also noted that the nature of the crisis that we have now is um, a mixed one. You know, it's a supply and a demand crisis. Uh, so there's not uh, uniform forms that need to be pushed in a certain direction. So it's a more nuanced response in the nature of the crisis that we face. So that was uh, important to come through. The other theme which was presented by the negative side is that we don't want to make the lose the opportunity of reform that when you have a crisis when you are forced to rethink the nature of your economy the structure of the economy the way capital is used the type of return on it you want to ask whether you're introducing events which are going to reinforce um, inefficiencies or poor use of capital in the post-covid world or you're going to introduce forms of assistance which will facilitate the arrival of this capital, the use of capital in an efficient way in the post-COVID period. Counting against that, the first group were emphasising, you know, the, the whole uncertainty that's associated with that. And the first order question, the absolute first order question, is managing uncertainty. And when there's managing uncertainty, continuity of arrangements is just one of the major things that a government can do, which can try and create an environment um, which minimises the degree of uncertainty. So I congratulate all of our presenters for the thought and reflection and the clear presentation that they've placed in. I um, uh, learnt a lot, I think, from the type of presentation and the arguments. The first thing that I learnt was the general support for a major role of government in this type of environment and that the issues of debt that are obviously significant and have to be managed and will become an issue into the future, seem across all sides to be an issue which is manageable. And it's, uh, it's the other issues about how do you support the younger people. So that's just another point which is underlined nicely, that the younger group were most ad adversely affected in an economic sense and they're beneficiaries of these job keeper and job seeker arrangements to a greater extent than in other impacts in other areas. So with that said, I congratulate all sides. I also have the result of the poll, which is put up in front of me, which accords with my own um, notes of the assessment. Um, so it's my pleasure to, um, apart from congratulating both sides for their great work, to um, announce that the winning team for the uh, debate is team two, that's arguing against the proposition led by Brennan Coates. So, Congratulations to everyone, but special congratulations to the members of Team 2. This was Economics Supplied on Demand, brought to you by the Economic Society of Australia, discussing relevant economic concepts of the time. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to, or get involved in the economic debate. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review of the podcast, and then head to our website and become a member. For our upcoming events and information on how to get involved, 
Follow us on social media by searching Economic Society of Australia or using the links on our website at esawa.org.au. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or are interested in talking to us, get in touch via our website. This episode was produced and edited by John White. Please note the views expressed are those of the individuals. They do not reflect the views of the Economic Society of Australia, its members or any associated organisation.